Let's take our Bibles this morning, please turn to Exodus, or sorry, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel is one of the prophets, and you'll find, if you get to the middle of your Bible and start turning to your right, you'll find Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. All right, young people, let's head to junior church, okay? All right. Ezekiel chapter 18. We had a young man, a teenager, saved on Wednesday night, and we praise the Lord. It was exciting to see. He's come to Master Clubs since he was just a little boy. He's come for years. And uh, Jacob Austin, he's uh, Bonnie Austin's great-grandson. And uh, he came and uh, he was quite concerned um, just about everything going on in the world and wondering if he was ready, if the Lord would return. And I thought, you know, that's, that's deeper than uh, just hearing about the gospel. He's been here long enough that he's, he's concerned about the Lord's return and if the Lord were to come, am I ready? And so a little bit deeper doctrine that's been in, sown into his life for a decade now and finally, on uh, Wednesday night, uh, he went to Brother Calvin. He said, as soon as he got off the bus, said, I need to be saved. And uh, Brother Calvin said, well, he says, uh, he thought he was joking. He honestly did, because he says these kids will do that all the time, just to, to kind of get him off kilter right at the start, you know. And, and Calvin said, well, he says, I'm going to preach a gospel message tonight. He says, it's the culmination of several weeks of teaching. And he says, if you'll listen and you still believe you need to be saved, you talk to me in about a half hour. And so they taught their lesson and immediately uh, Jacob wanted to be saved. And so, praise the Lord. Lord. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, I I can't help but think, uh, you know, I'm not an alarmist in that sense. And I I, I get texts from other preachers say, wow, the Lord is coming back. Well, yeah, he's been coming for 2,000 years. He said in Revelation, behold, I come quickly. And so I, I, I have no illusions that the Lord is coming back, but I can't say it's today or tomorrow. No man knoweth the hour. And uh, all I know is we are to watch and be ready. Be ready. Jacob wanted to be sure he was ready. And so are you ready? Are you sure you know the Lord? You know, this is uh, this morning I'm looking at Ezekiel chapter 18. It's the third message I've written for this morning and uh, it's just one of those things. Brother, we were praying with Brother Wilson last night, Larry Wilson, and he said, Lord, I love it when pastor says the Lord wants me to go in a different direction. And I thought, I don't. <laughs> it scares me to death. And uh, this is from our devotions this morning. My wife and I were up reading Ezekiel chapter 18, and the Lord began to speak to my heart. And so I, I thought, originally I was going to continue in the book of Mark, and then the Lord uh, led me after Brother Hilton's message last Sunday night to preach a message on revival. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that message, no doubt. But I, I, my wife and I were reading this this morning. I thought, wow, in order for revival to take place, there's some curses that need to be broken. And uh, I, I, I don't have a, a great definition of revival. There's some preachers will come and they'll say, well, you need to, we often use cliches, don't we? We'll use cliches and we'll say stuff like, well, you know, revival never took place without prayer first. Well, you can't prove that. Revival is God doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And it doesn't matter uh, the condition. We've seen Israel have revival many times that God just sent a prophet and preached and God broke hearts and moved. And, and so we can't always define what revival is. But my definition of revival is simply surrendering to allow God to work. 
surrendering to allow God, whatever that might be. God, God, you say, well, isn't revival to breathe life into? Listen, if God judges sin, he will breathe life into a nation. Life comes from the touch of God. I, I, I often say this, Jesus never went to a funeral where that person stayed dead. Whenever Jesus got near them, they were risen back to life. I, I, I like to say it this way, he put the fun back in funeral. He ruined a lot of good funerals. Three times the Lord raised somebody from the dead. All three times he came to a funeral, he raised them from the dead. Think about that. And so life comes just simply from the touch of God. And I want to encourage you this morning as I, as I preach this message with God's help, I believe some of us need that touch. Some of you are lost in your sin today. You're here and you can sing the songs and you can, from, from rote or from your memory, you know all the words. But there was a group of people that will stand before God and say, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. It's not about what you're doing, it's about who you have in your heart and have you been born again. So look at Ezekiel chapter 18 with me this morning, and I want you to see some things, and uh, it, it kind of it led me to a myth that we often make cliche out of the Bible. Uh, even the Israelites were guilty of it. They turned it into a proverb to help them remember, and that's what a proverb is. It's just a short, snappy sentence that helps us remember a greater spiritual truth, and, and so some proverbs are good, the ones inspired by God. And then there are proverbs that we use every day that perhaps aren't so accurate <laughs> and aren't so good. And so let's look this morning at Ezekiel chapter 18. We're going to read uh, several verses of scripture and we'll pray and then we'll get into the lesson this morning. And I'm going to give you quite a bit of background, I believe, and then I'm going to give you three principles at the end, all right? And they won't take long, but if you'll just stay with me this morning, uh, this is what the Lord has placed upon my heart today. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, or came again came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? There's a proverb. It is not an inspired proverb. It's inspired in the sense that God recorded it exactly as Israel was saying it, but Israel made it up to help them remember a deeper spiritual truth. It was a cliche that came, apart, uh, came upon the people of Israel that would just help them remember something. And, and so Israel was, was famous for that. They would sometimes use poetry. They would use a poem to help them remember deeper spiritual truths. David wrote a whole book of them called Psalms. Others wrote them as well. And so we see that it was to help them remember doctrine and help them to remember truth, but sometimes they would write a proverb that was just a little too light, didn't have the deeper spiritual meaning of the actual truth, and it was to direct them back in time to a scripture, and we'll show you that scripture in just a moment. And the Bible says in verse 3, as I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. So he's saying there's coming a day where you won't use that proverb anymore. You're not gonna be able to say that anymore. There's, there's gonna be a change take place, and we'll show you that in the scripture as well. But look back at verse two again. I want you to see the proverb again. 
The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. How many of you have ever met somebody who's kind of miserable and said, well, they're just sour grapes over a situation? Uh, They're just, you know, they've eaten sour grapes. That's really a misapplication of what the scripture is saying. Sour grapes is not about being upset about something or being angry about something. Eating sour grapes was literally partaking of sin. And we're going to see that in the scripture as well. It's literally the partaking of sin. And notice what it says in this proverb. He says, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And so it becomes a, he says, because of the father eating this sour grapes, now the children are paying the price. And that's what that proverb means. And it comes from a scriptural principle we'll look at in just a moment, but let's continue reading. Verse four, behold, and here's why they will not use this proverb anymore. All souls are mine. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just... And do that which is lawful and right. And hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither have lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a, a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just and shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Now, God says, if there's a man that has done a whole laundry list of things, did you notice that? And some of them were pretty random, weren't they? I mean, they were all over. There were hundreds of commands of Scripture. And so I will direct your attention to verse 9. I believe God was just giving them a sampling. He was saying, if you can follow certain things, if you are able to follow the laws of God, but verse 9, he summarizes it this way, hath walked in my statutes. You've obeyed me. Uh, You've kept my judgments, it says, to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. So don't look at that list of do's and don'ts and say, well, God only wants me to keep those eight things. He is just giving a sampling of his law and saying, well, let's, let's just go from one extreme to the other. Let's go from this end of the earth to this end of the earth. Let's go from east to west, north to south, and let's talk about morality, and let's talk about obeying the laws concerning uh, um, being just with your neighbor, and, and let's talk about a bunch of different things, a myriad of things, but let's sum it up this way, keep my word, follow my statutes. And so now look at verse 10. He says, if he begin a, if he beget a son... That is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife. And so now he, he does the flip side. He says, if there's a man that doesn't do all these things, he is just and right and good, uh, he will live. But if there's a man that does the opposite of these things, he has a son who's a robber and sheds blood and eateth upon the mountains and covets his neighbor's wife, and, and he, he just reverses that list to the negative, and he says, he shall die. Read the rest, verse 12. 
hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now lo, verse 14, going back to this father from the previous verses, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins. So now he's flipping the script. He says, if father has sinned, if the father is a a sinner before God, and he begets a son which sees his father's sins which he hath done, and considereth, verse 14, and doeth not such like. So now he's flipped the script. He says, we have a a dad that is disobeying God and a dad that is sinning and a dad that is living a wicked life, but the son sees it and says, I don't want to be like that. I want to live for God. And he goes on and he lists those sins again. And he says in verse 15, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath oppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment, that hath taken off his hand from the poor, and hath not received usury nor increase, hath executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes. He shall not die. For the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, so even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet say he, why doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed They shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I believe it's the message for this hour. Not because I'm saying it or standing before this group of people, but because it's from the holy book, the very words of God. And Lord, there's a definite New Testament application to this passage. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see it and understand it and apply it to our lives. And Lord, I believe that today there's some here that maybe don't know Christ as Savior. Oh God, I pray that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in an eternal God, the almighty God, the one who will never die and has the power to give life. And he would save their souls today by the washing of the regeneration of his blood and his word. So speak to our hearts today, we pray. I need your help. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back, if you would, for a moment at verse 2 once again. And we see this proverb that he gives. What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying... 
The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The problem sometimes with Proverbs is that they lose meaning over time. How many of you, let's say the younger generation here, and if you count yourself as younger, that's fine. But how many of you have heard that, that old proverb, don't lift a, look a gift horse in the mouth? You heard the, raise your hand if you've heard that. All right, how many, let's say if you're under the age of 40, how many of you know what it means? A couple, some know what it means, all right. Not very many know what that means. We say it, but we really don't know what it means. To look a gift horse in the mouth was, was the meaning was somebody would give a horse as a gift and the person receiving the gift would look immediately in the mouth because you could tell by its teeth, its age, and its value. And you're not to look at a gift and say, well, what is this worth? And what is the, the value of this thing? I'm sorry, we're, gonna, we're just gonna stop and pray for a moment. I, there's an ambulance out front or something and it's lights or let's just pray for whatever's going on. I don't know if there's been an accident or what, but... It's distracting me, so we're going to pray. The Lord is telling us to talk to him about that. Father, I'm not sure what's going on outside. I see the lights of an ambulance and perhaps a fire truck or whatever it might be. And God, we just pray that your hand of protection would be on whoever it is. And Lord, we pray that you would just give those first responders wisdom and guidance. And Father, I don't know why that just flashed before my eyes, but I pray, Lord, that whatever it might be, that you would just protect and strengthen, Lord, we pray for the soul of those people, whoever's in trouble, Lord, that they might be saved. God, help us, we pray. Continue with this message. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, there was a fellow, I think he's still around, Roy Green. How many of you have heard of Roy Green on CHML Radio? And I was driving somewhere one day, and there was a, he has his talk show, and he was fairly conservative, and I was listening to Roy Green. And he said this, and it was talking about corporal punishment in the schools. How many of you received the strap when you were kids? Don't raise your hand. So, too late, Brother Eric. <laughs> How many of you are surprised Brother Eric got the strap? No, I'm just kidding. And so that was going on in schools at the time, and they were talking about that and discussing that. And, and, and of course, the proverb that was used often was, spare the rod... Spoil the child. Do you know the Bible doesn't say that? And that's the problem with Proverbs. When we make a human approach at trying to interpret a deeper spiritual truth, something is missing. You know what the Bible says? He that spareth the rod hateth his what? Son. It is giving parental authority for discipline, not a school teacher or anybody else. And so because we've reduced it to a proverb, they abused it over the years, and now it's gone completely. And if you want to discipline your child, you'll probably get in trouble legally if somebody were to complain, because we've misused the scriptures. That is parental authority. And so, so, so sometimes proverbs aren't all that helpful. The human ones, the scriptural ones, the inspired by God ones are of all profit, and we should use them. And so we look at this proverb today and God is saying to the people, listen, why are you saying that? You have misunderstood the scriptures. And what scripture is he referring to? Turn back to Exodus chapter 20 and we'll show you. There's four times it is mentioned in the Bible. Four times it is mentioned in the Bible. And look at it in Exodus chapter 20. 
Now, I began to question. As I'm reading this scripture, there was an obvious question that popped into my mind. And I began to talk to my wife a lot. I said, I, I don't know how this fits in with other scriptures. And I found out that this proverb was referring to those very scriptures I was struggling with and understanding. When I read the scripture that says, if a father sin and he bears a son, and that son looks upon his father's sin and says, I don't want to be like that anymore. I'm going to live for God and follow his statutes. I begin to ask the question, what about the scripture that says God will punish to the third and fourth generation? It didn't seem to line up with what I was reading in Ezekiel chapter 18. And so I began to question that and look, and I looked up that little proverb, and I found out that it is referring back to that very phrase. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. The Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, listen, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, but look at that last phrase, of them that hate me. We often use that proverb to describe this spiritual truth, and, and the Israelites were using this particular proverb about the fathers eating sour grapes, and it, it, it caused the problem for the children, and the sin would be visited upon the children, and God says, no, you're misinterpreting this. Here's what I really said. He says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers under the third and fourth generation, but listen, of them that hate me. The title of the message this morning is Breaking the Curse. You can break the curse. If your father or your mother have sinned, you do not have to continue down that path. You don't have to continue hating the Lord. And you say, well, I've never hated the Lord. And even though my parents were uh, wicked people or my parents were living in a certain way that, that did not glorify the Lord, or though my parents were not saved, I, I still came to Sunday school and I, I still went to teen group and I still went to master clubs and I, I, I was involved in church and, and, and I'm different and I've never hated God but have you broken the curse? Have you been born again? Have you given your heart and your life to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind? Because sometimes we say, God, I, I love you, and God says, no. That's not what your life shows. You hate me with your life. You have other gods before me. You don't obey my statutes. You don't follow the word. You don't apply it to your life. Look in Exodus chapter 34. We're going to look at all four of these very quickly. Exodus chapter 34. Look at verse 4. You'll remember that Moses came down from the mount and he found a revelry in the camp and they had made a golden idol, a calf. And the people were worshiping this calf and they were dancing lasciviously and the music was blaring and they were having a good time in their sin. And Moses took those tablets and he cast them among the people. And so now God is going to give them a law a second time. 
And verse 4, and he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up in the early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that while by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. He said, well, there it is again, pastor. God says if a man sins, he will punish that sin under the third and the fourth generation. No, look at the first part of the verse, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that while by no means clear the guilty. In other words, Anybody that comes to Jesus can find mercy and forgiveness for sins, but if you continue down the path of the guilty, God will not clear you. You will be punished to the third and fourth generation. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying you can break the curse. Just because your forefathers lived a certain way, you don't have to live like that. I look sometimes at uh, my family a little bit and I see I see uncles and aunts and grandparents that lived in a wicked lifestyle and cousins today that just followed that same path. I said to my wife this morning, I said, you know those cousins? I said, they were doomed. Without the Lord Jesus Christ coming into their life and without them putting their faith in Christ and being cleansed from their sins and being born again, I said, those cousins were doomed because that's all they knew. All they knew was drunkenness and abuse and filthiness, that's all they knew. And they were doomed to repeat that, and they are bearing the sins of their father down to the third and the fourth generation. But friends, you can break that curse, because God is merciful. God will forgive iniquity. And he says, oh yes, I will, I will visit the guilty, and I will hold the guilty accountable, but you don't have to be guilty. Because Ezekiel chapter 18 says, if the father sin and the son says no, I'm going to live for God. You can be forgiven. Look at the next one, if you would, this morning. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Skip over the book of Leviticus and get right into the book of Numbers. You remember in Numbers chapter 14, the people rebelled, didn't they? They began to murmur against Moses and Aaron. They didn't like the manna, they didn't like water from a rock. Isn't that sad? Isn't that what the world's like today? The world doesn't want the bread of life either. The world doesn't want water from the rock, Jesus Christ. And so they murmured and they complained and they began to murmur against Moses and Aaron and more and more because of plagues in the camp and sickness and things that were going on and they began to complain to God. And God said to Moses, I'm gonna wipe them all out. I'll start a great nation with you and nobody else. And Moses went to God, and he began to intercede for the people of Israel. And in verse 17, he says, And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Moses says to God, he just basically quotes the law. He says, God, remember when I was on the mountain, you told me this, that you would visit the iniquity of the fathers under the third and the fourth generation. But here's what I also know, God, you are merciful and forgiving. And you can forgive this sin and you can pardon these people. He said, well, what did God do? Notice what it says next, verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me truly, will I bring him into the land uh, whither he went and his seed shall possess it. Who did God punish? One generation. One generation. He did not punish to the third and the fourth. So what are you saying today, preacher? I'm saying this, you can break the curse. Moses went unto God and intercede, and one man, you know the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hey, are you praying for your family? You're praying for your kids to turn to God? God doesn't have to punish to the third and fourth generation. He reserves the right to, but he's a God of mercy and forgiveness. There's one more. I don't think we need to turn there. In Deuteronomy chapter five and verse nine, Deuteronomy is a repeat of the law or the second giving of the law. Moses is is giving a final address to the people and he repeats some of the law and he just basically repeats Exodus chapter 20 and verse five, them that hate me. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation upon them that hate me. Oh, but he'll forgive and pardon those that turn their hearts to God. There are some here today, you need to break some curses. It's generational in your family. We stand before the Lord and we stand before our peers and we stand before those that are trying to help us and say, well, I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. I started drinking when I was 12 and that's all I've ever known and my dad gave me my first beer when I was 14 and we hear stories like that. You can break that curse. You don't have to live like that. You can follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you can put your faith and trust in him. And I want you to look back now at Ezekiel for a moment and I want you to notice some of those key verses in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse two. It says, what mean ye that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine and the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth they shall die, but if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right. Now look at verse nine. He hath walked in my statutes and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. You can break the curse. 
You don't have to go down that same garden path unto hell. You can trust Jesus Christ today. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 10, he gives a second example. He says, if he begat a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, if a righteous man have a wicked son, what will happen? Look at the Bible says in verse 13, hath given forth upon usury and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon who? Him, not his father. The father shall live and the Son shall die. And then we see a third instance in verse 14. Now if he beget a son that is righteous and the father has sins, verse 18 says, as for his father because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. But shall the son die? Verse 19. Yet say he, why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? He's going back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, and that proverb that they cleverly devised to help them remember they have eaten sour grapes and the children's uh, teeth are set on edge. Why should the son be punished? When the son hath done that which is lawful and right and hath kept all my statutes and hath done them, he shall surely live. You see, where did Ezekiel get all this? By the time Ezekiel started writing, There was another prophet in Israel that had already been prophesying for 34 years. His name was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had something to say about this as well. Look, if you will, in Jeremiah, very quickly, turn there if you would. Jeremiah chapter 31, just back a few pages. Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to give you three principles, and we're done. Jeremiah chapter 31, look at verse 27. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down, and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Now look at this, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the hand of Egypt, land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall I... But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. God says, I'm making a new covenant. That new covenant is called grace. In the Old Testament, we we saw it, didn't we? We saw the people of Israel that took of the unclean thing And God told Moses, don't just take the life of the man, but take his whole family. 
They stoned them all. We saw generations swallowed up by God because of sin. The ground would open and people would fall to their deaths. But now God says, I don't work that way. I love people. I forgive people. I show mercy and grace. You can break the curse. There are so many today that just are doomed to repeat the sins of their fathers because they feel like, well, it's genetic. I was born into this. This is all I've ever known. This is how I've been brought up. This is how I've learned. That's why you need to be born again. To put off the old and to put on the new. To become a new creature in Christ. To have new life in Jesus. And you can put off all that stuff. That doesn't mean you, you don't fellowship with your family. You don't try to encourage them. You don't try to help them. You don't go to Christmas dinners. I, I'm just saying, you don't have to follow in their sin. You don't have to repeat that wickedness in your own life. A generational curse can be broken. Let me give you three principles. Number one, the principle of autonomy. The principle of autonomy The book of Ezekiel makes it plain that in this new covenant, everyone will be his own man or her own woman. In other words, every one of us will give account unto God. Every one of us will stand for our own sins. Every one of us You'll never, you won't be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ if you're a Christian, or, or heaven forbid if you're not saved, the great white throne judgment. You'll not be able to stand before God. By the way, all of us stand before God at some point. And point the finger at somebody else and say, it's because of them I sin. Now woe unto them that cause a stumbling block in your life. But you will not be able to say, because of my father, because of my grandfather, because of a generational curse, or because of my friend leading me into sin, or the things that I have done, I blame on somebody. You will not be able to blame it. You are autonomous. You will give account. That's the principle of autonomy. That's what Ezekiel teaches us. We see in the New Testament the principle of accountability. The Bible says this in Romans 14, verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of who? Say it if you know it. So every one of us shall give account of who? Himself unto God. When you stand before God, you'll give an account of it, your own sin. For the, for the, for the Christian, I'm so glad I can stand before God and say, well, all my sins are under his blood. I'm forgiven. I'm washed Now I'll give an account of the things done in my body, those works that will either be wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones, but whatever, I'll give an account for those things, but I'm so thankful that I'm washed in the blood, but I'm accountable unto God. It is given unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment, and you too will stand before God, and you are accountable, and not just on the last day, you're accountable now, and we will stand before God one day. I'm saying, how do, how do I break that curse? Take responsibility for yourself. Understand you are autonomous, you cannot blame anybody else, and you are accountable unto God. You will give an account of yourself unto God. And here's the third thing, and we're done. 
The principle of absolution. What is that? It's just another word that starts with the letter A, but it means forgiveness. You can be forgiven. Absolution is bigger than just forgiveness, by the way. It means forgiven and pardoned. Forgiven and pardoned. The Catholics have that doctrine where they'll absolve a man of his sins and they believe they are transferring God's forgiveness and God's pardon upon a man. I'm so thankful that there's one mediator between God and man and the man Christ Jesus and I can go boldly to the throne of grace because of what he has done for me. His blood has been shed and I can, the middle wall of partition was torn in two that I might go boldly to his throne and I can confess my sins not to any man on earth but to the man Christ Jesus. And I can be absolved, not just forgiven, but pardoned as well. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For when they spake great swelling words of vanity, Peter says this, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, listen, he's describing some of us today. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them had they had not known the way of righteousness and after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned again to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I want to say today that if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sins and you've been forgiven and you've been pardoned, don't go back. Absolution means that you can live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a clean slate. It started fresh the moment you accepted Christ, the moment he washed you in his blood, and you can break that curse by simply following and obeying the word of God. Let me just close with this illustration. When I was thinking about all of this this morning, I began to think about a fellow named Joshua. Do you remember Joshua? Do you know Joshua was born in slavery? Joshua was born in slavery and he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And in 40 years, did he ever see a lot of wickedness, didn't he? He saw people murmuring, complaining about this light bread, manna from heaven. Can you imagine bread from heaven being called light bread? People complaining they had no water and God allowed the water to flow forth from a rock. God providing them meat through the form of quail, the Bible says, till it came out their nostrils. They murmured and complained. They they, they didn't want any of that. They said, oh, that we would have the leeks and the garlics of Egypt, that we could just go back. They got angry at the Red Sea. When Moses was too long upon the mount, they made a calf unto Baal. They worshiped it. And on and on it goes. We see the sins of the people, even Moses, sinned against God for the second time when he was told to speak to the rock. By the way, Jesus Christ was smitten once. The first time he smote the rock, the second time he was to speak to the rock. And he smote it again. 
And God said, because of that, you cannot enter the promised land. Joshua had plenty of opportunity to fall. At the beginning of that 40 years, he was one of 12 sent to spy out the land. And the majority said, we can't do it. The giants would overcome us. Their armies are too strong. And they sowed discord among the brethren and the majority of the people rose up and they bemoaned, they wanted to stone Moses. It was a terrible time. And Joshua said this, we are well able to overtake it. Let us go up at once. 40 years later, it was Joshua that would enter into the promised land, he and only Caleb of those early generation. Many times he could have fallen. Many times he could have given in to the majority. And at the end of his life, he began to observe the people. God had brought them through and he'd set up the nation of Israel. He'd driven out king after king after king and nation after nation. And Joshua says, if it seemed good unto you to serve the God of the Amorites or the God from the other side of the river or the God of Baal or whoever you want to serve, the gods of Egypt, let it be known this day as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Some of you today, in order to break that curse, you've been exposed to a lot of things in your life, but you need to stand up today and say, God, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll never see revival in your life until you do. Let's trust him today. You can break the curse. Father, help us, Lord, to understand your word. Speak to our hearts. God went a little longer than I wanted to, but I pray that you would just Use the message today and help us. And Lord, I pray maybe there's some here today that just need to take that stand for God. If they're sick and tired of falling to pray of the sins of their family, or the sins of their friends, those influences in their life, and they point the finger and say, I'm this way because of this. No, Lord, we are autonomous. We cannot blame anybody else. We are accountable Lord, we just need to understand that we will stand before God for our sin. But Lord, we can also be forgiven. We can be absolved. And I pray, Lord, that you just help those today that are caught in that snare. Lord, that they just keep returning again to those things that cause death in our lives. Oh God, set them free. We sing so many songs today that my chains fell off. Hear the chains fall. And the truth is, so many of us are still in bondage. Oh God, make that a reality in our lives today. That you allow some chains to fall from us. God, we need revival so badly. But let it, judgment start in the house of God. Help us, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Pianos begin to play. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step and come to this altar right now? Some today, you need to say enough is enough. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh God, help us. Maybe there's somebody here today who says, I'm not saved. I don't know the Lord. We can help you today. You can turn to him today. You can't blame anybody else. You will stand before God alone. Your soul stripped bare before a holy God who sees and knows. Why don't you just say today, we will serve the Lord. Amen.